needs that we have that we, uh, every week we have a lot of the same needs, Lord, but you are a God beyond time, Lord. We just continue to leave them at the foot of the cross, Lord, to trust in you uh, for the answer to these prayers because it's not our time, it's not our will, it's your will that we seek and it's your time, your timing, Lord, and it's because of your grace and mercy that we have uh, that we're trusting in you to take care of these things because you do provide. Uh, you've given us everything. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, Lord, that uh, to where we haven't probably haven't been as thankful as we should have been for all of the things that you've given us, Lord, uh, we just now that it's Sunday and we can come together and we can, we can ask you to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, so that we can be thankful the way we should be all the time, Lord. We do thank you for Sundays. We just, we just pray that every day was more like Sunday, Lord. And so we just pray, Lord, that, uh, for, that you just uh, join us, Lord, in every way possible. Bless Randy. Um, calm his nerves. Speak to his heart, Lord, and help him to deliver an awesome message because it's your word that he's bringing, Lord. So we just pray that you make it all come together. And we, in love, Lord, for you, we just pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Today I'd like to speak on the topic, uh, am I loud enough? Okay. Today I'd like to speak on the topic, the cost of contentment from Philippians chapter 4 verses 11 to 13. But, but before I do, I would like to take the opportunity to express my gratitude to all of you for entrusting this morning's message to my care. I always think of it as a privilege that I am, first of all, called to preach and to teach. I've never taken it lightly in my ministry. My ministry began in 1984 while I was at Talbot Seminary. And what was supposed to be a one-semester field education turned into 33 years <laughs> of intercultural ministry in the Korean church. My wife and I have been partners all of that time, she's there. Um, she is from Korea. Uh, she uh, got saved as a product of a American missionary back in the 60s. And so she came here. But you know, even, even while my wife and I ministered interculturally in the Korean churches, in predominantly in LA, urban area, it was always our first priority for teaching and preaching the Word of God. And as a result, it, it gave us tremendous joy and contentment because we could watch, as we were there over the years, we could watch these young people, high schoolers, college age, young couples, find their place in the church, you know, in God's work. Many of them that we know uh, have become very respected members of the society. Many have become private businessmen, private businesswomen. 
Several have become policemen and policewomen in, in Los Angeles downtown. And of course, many of them have become pastors. So we are so full of joy. We are so contented to see this happening. But you know, not long after my wife and I were married, we were able to rent our first apartment. We were so excited. It was cramped. We were overrun by all of the cockroaches. <laughs> and our neighbors regularly took their middle-of-the-night battles outside, not to mention the loud parties and the playing of loud music until the early morning hours. But we were still contented to have that place. It's no wonder that we felt so excited when years later we found our first house in a quiet suburb. <laughs> Away from all the noise and crowds of people. And to us, this house was so special. We had all kinds of ideas what to do with it. Just the right size in a very friendly neighborhood. And the price was within our budget. We thank God for his gracious provision. We signed the mortgage and we moved in. Why then, I asked myself, were we driving around other housing developments a few months later, <laughs> dreaming about a bigger house with a bigger backyard, a larger garage, and more bedrooms? We both caught ourselves. We began to laugh. How quickly we had become discontented in the midst of God's blessing us. And you know what? I think apparently many other people share our chronic lack of contentment. In a survey for a major woman's magazine, only one in three people who are 18 to 40 years of age consider themselves very satisfied or content with life. Only about one in six are content with their salary and earnings. It seems that in a universally sinful world, discontent is universal. The famous American actor, Kirk Douglas, he's still one of my favorite actors, he once said, I've met some nice bright young men in their 30s who are worth $200 million, but it's not enough. I've got to make more. Why is there such a greed? At the other end of the age difference, some people who do most anything, they'll do most anything to possess high-priced clothes and shoes that they think will give them status and recognition. Tragically, many Christians accept the world's lies about the secret of contentment. Never, it seems, have so many wanted so much and found so little contentment once they have it. In contrast to such widespread discontentment are the Apostle Paul's jarring words, I have learned. I have to stop there because I'm guilty already. I have to learn. I, I think that it comes automatically or so quickly. You know, sometimes I think we live in a bending machine age. Take the money out, put it in the machine. I got instant 
what, five seconds it comes out. Paul says, I, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. Philippians 4.11. And I noticed the language that he uses in Philippians 4.11. I have learned. Sounds like it takes time. Philippians 4.12, I know. He says it twice, I know. And especially, I am instructed. Remember, too, that Paul was under house arrest at this time. When he wrote that remarkable statement, for all he know, he could lose his head the next day. And he's talking this way. How did Paul do it? When I study the Bible, I have to ask a lot of questions. Because it takes time for me. How can we experience that same deep and abiding contentment? How can I? You know, one way of maintaining priorities that I'm constantly learning in my Christian life is by working on keeping the questions that I think will lead me in the right way here before my mind about any subject that I find in the Bible. You know, I think that when we're discontent, it's often because the wrong questions may be occupying our mind. I propose that if we focus on some of the questions, let me say it this way, if we focus on the wrong questions about our effectiveness in the Lord's ministry, it can become minimized. Maybe even eliminated and we become of little use to the Lord. Thus in the following, I hope to ask some of the questions in a beginning effort to help us refocus our priorities on learning about what is true biblical contentment. And if you have your Bibles, I think it's up on here too, um, I would invite you to look up the scriptures together with me. This morning as we study God's word and to see what it says about this important subject. I would like to ask a series of questions under the main categories, the three main categories. First is the content of commitment. The content of commitment found in Philippians 4.11. Second will be the perspective of commitment. And this is in Philippians 4.12. And third is the person of contentment in Philippians 4.13. Now as we come back to the content of commitment found in Philippians 4.11, one question that stands out in my mind, when I look at the word contentment, I would like to know what puts the content in contentment. Stated differently. When Paul said that he was content, what did he mean? The word contentment is a very beautiful word in the Bible. Contentment is the life in the sunshine of God's presence. Contentment beautifies the Christian life. The word contentment means to be sufficient, to be or to have enough. To be full. God himself is a complete and all-sufficient one. And I'm reminded in Colossians 2.9. He is fullness. Contentment, therefore, involves God. Biblical contentment. Contentment can only be found when the God of the Bible 
is our God. And it only happens, brothers and sisters, it only happens by God's grace. But what had Paul learned when he said he was content? He had learned not to depend on possessions, position, ambition, and wealth for satisfaction. Paul's motivation and goal, our motivation and goal, are the components of our confidence of faith. It's beautiful music today that I heard. I love that. The last time I came to, I commented. It's just absolutely beautiful what you do. I'm really appreciative and blessed by that. It's the confidence here, the components of our confidence of faith in the all-sufficiency of God's provision for our every need. And it is the confidence of the sufficiency of God's grace for every circumstance that we find ourselves in. It's all of grace or none of grace. I heard that years ago in a vacation Bible school in San Antonio, Texas. I have never forgotten it. In the scriptures, in 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 8, we read what Paul wrote to the young pastor Timothy. And I quote, But godliness with contentment is great gain. I don't think he can spell it any louder, I mean, any more clearly than that. But I have to reread it over and over. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we carry nothing out, and having food and clothing. Let us therefore be content. When my wife and I, I was in Korea for five years as a visiting professor. And I thought, you know, when I go there, I better take all my library. And it just wasn't, it didn't happen that way. We ended up living in the student dormitory with the students. Sorry? Hold it closer. Okay, sorry. Sorry. What, what was I doing? Uh, uh, in, in, in Korea, you know, as we were living in the dormitory, I thought, you know, how can we live like this? The stove that we had was just a hot pad. But we really felt very strongly that that's where God wanted us to be. And that was only supposed to be a, a how do you call this, a uh, exchange faculty for one semester. And it ended up being 10 semesters. I wish I had stayed there. It was such a blessing working cross-culturally. You know, I recall in the early years of our marriage, too, we struggled financially to make ends meet because I was in seminary studying to be a pastor. When the bills came each month, there was never enough money to pay them. But what we would do is bundle all the bills together asking God to provide the means by which we could pay those bills. And you know what happened? God always provided a way by which I could work to earn money to pay those bills. And we always had just enough money to pay all the bills, to buy food, and to pay the rent. God always provided our every need, and he was constantly teaching us what it means to be content 
with what he provides. But it's a lesson that we have to learn daily. Which means I have to be on my hands, my knees every day. Asking God to teach me, to instruct me. No sooner do we enjoy God's grace of contentment, and then it's gone, and ugly discontentment comes back. <clears throat> it's hard learning. But to me, it's worth it every time. It's worth it, and even though I fail miserably each time, by God's grace and in the way of obedience to God's word, I am enabled continually to learn contentment. Well, we also find the word contentment in the Bible, translated by the word sufficient. For example, in another of Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency, there's that word, in all things may abound to every good work. And again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you. I want to ask a clarifying question. What am I trying to say to you this morning? I think it's this. For the Apostle Paul, contentment did not mean just gliding through life in apathy. Or resignation. Remember, Paul had established new fellowships of believers throughout the hostile regions of Asia Minor. But then, as soon as I finish thinking about that one, I have another question that comes to my mind. We talked about the content of commitment, of, of uh, contentment, but now we need to talk about the perspective of contentment found in Philippians 4.12. My question that comes, how could I be both ambitious and content in the same context? How can I be both ambitious and content in the same context? It seems I still have to learn more about the source of contentment. And the more I studied Philippians 4, 11 to 13, the more I appreciated Paul's wealth of knowledge and experience about the elusive pursuit of contentment. A multimillionaire was once asked how much money it would take to make him happy. He answered, one more dollar. Now the Apostle Paul saw through that kind of futile tail-chasing pursuit of contentment. When he added here and he said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. That's Philippians 4, 11 to 12. So I think we may all understand why we might have to learn to live in need. But why, though, would anyone have to learn to live with abundance? That question comes out again. Paul discovered that learning to be content is necessary no matter how much we have. 
because how much we have has very little to do with contentment. Contentment is not self-righteousness. It is not to be self-satisfied, but what is it then to be satisfied? And how many of us have attained it? A famous tennis player at the age of 31 had a $3 million a year income, a townhouse in England, a Beverly Hills condominium in Southern California, and a four-bedroom house in Florida. Yet, in a candid interview with Life magazine, she confessed, and I quote, I've had enormous success, but you have to find your own happiness, peace, and contentment. You cannot find it in things and in other people. And she finished by saying, I'm still searching for it. This famous person had discovered the dismaying truth. Things do not provide lasting satisfaction, whether you live in a Beverly Hills, California condominium or a New York City ghetto. Yet among many Christians, the lie of just a little more is alive and well at every social and economic level. And it is quite sad when this discontentment fuels the pursuit of, of uh, position and influence in the Christian community. And we wonder, is that really authentic Christian commitment? But then why do so many of us continue down the same path that leads nowhere? Probably, maybe because many of us know of no other place to turn. However imperfect, grasping after people, power, possessions, and position does provide some measure of contentment. Even though that contentment is only temporary. Eventually, a strong sense of emptiness takes over. But now, we've talked about the content of, of uh, contentment in Philippians 4.11. We've talked about the perspective of contentment in Philippians 4.12. Now, let's see the person of contentment in Philippians 4.13. My question, how can we break the vicious and consuming cycle of wanting more of the wrong things. More specifically, how did the Apostle Paul practice the perspective of looking beyond accumulated things and accomplishments? Notice after listing his impressive credentials in Philippians 3, 4, and 6, Paul said then, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ in Philippians 3.7. It was not hard for Paul to cut through the lies and see the truth that riches and accomplishments do not satisfy. When he met someone, it's a capital S, he met someone who did fulfill the deepest needs of his soul. And needless to say, Paul's perspective changed because of that person, capital P. For the Apostle Paul, discovering Jesus Christ 
meant discovering the source of contentment. The riches of Jesus Christ, riches shared with Paul and with us, were so glorious. And daily fellowship with Jesus Christ was so deeply satisfying that Paul's pursuits and accomplishments dimmed pitifully in comparison. Sometimes, you know, I think I have to get myself out of the way when I'm serving God. I think I'm so important with all my background and everything. And I realize that it, that it is he working through me. He has to increase. I have to decrease. But if I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, why am I still not content? Remember, Paul told us twice in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, he had to learn to be content. He even said he had to learn the secret of contentment in Philippians 4, 12. So if I'm discontent in my life, it's because I don't spend enough time in God's presence. And when I spend time in God's presence, I can learn from him who I am, how I fit into the world. And what I need for him to accomplish his purposes for me. Contentment gives us peace. It gives us strength. And an eagerness. And readiness to serve. It is an inner calm with the grace of God. So that we become more and more devoted workers. I have found that contentment... It's not just a feeling that I can instantly possess by doing the right things. It's a skill I must patiently learn by communing with the right person. And that person is Jesus Christ. My hurried, shallow prayers never, disp <coughs> excuse me, never dispense contentment. There's no shortcut. Knowing Christ and his sufficiency means a daily investment of time and energy in his word and in his presence. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. That, to my mind, is quite impressive. And I've been reading this for a long time. And when I read it, I still get something brand new out of it each time. Paul's contentment was not instantaneous. Paul's contentment was the fruit of many years of faithful fellowship, learning from experience that he could trust God to provide what he needed in every way. Maybe we're too embarrassed to admit that a lack of contentment comes from a lack of fellowship with the Lord, who is the source of contentment. But even now, the situation is not hopeless. For the Lord Jesus Christ never fails to invite us to daily fellowship with him. Even if we had failed to come to him in days past. His mercy is great. His provisions are free. Forever bought by his blood. In 1918 a Christian friend gave the famous songwriter, Helen Lemel, a gospel tract. 
a particular sentence in that pamphlet inspired her. And through her, it has helped countless thousands of Christians refocus their lives on the true source of Christian contentment. From that never-to-be-forgotten phrase, Helen Lemel wrote a song that instantly became a favorite at the famous Bible conferences in Keswick, England. It says everything that the Apostle Paul wants to say to us who pursue contentment. I'm not going to sing for you, <laughs> but I'm going to read the verses. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Shall we pray? Take, Lord, all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my whole being. You have given me all that I am, all that I have, and I surrender all to your divine will that you use me in your way. Please, Lord, give me only your love and your grace. With this, I am rich enough. I am content, and I have no more to ask of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.